you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. Joining us is our expert on COVID-19 who's with us every week from the University of California, San Francisco, infectious disease specialist and professor of medicine, Dr. Peter Chin Hong. Sir, thank you so much for joining us. Very good Monday to you. Thanks for having me on. First of all, your reaction to the state of California uh, no longer after March 11th requiring students indoors to wear masks, although individual districts can can require they be kept on. What do you think of that? I mean, I think it gives a destination point. Um, I find it very interesting that still uh, most parents, at least from that University of California, Berkeley study, support masking. So at, le- at least it gives flexibility about 30 percent percent of uh, parents uh, don't uh, or oppose the mask, but in by far, just like in New York, uh, many parents do. So I think what people were lacking was really a roadmap or some thought about when this might uh, evolve. And hopefully we'll get details today at the state level. Although, as you pointed out, individual districts can have their own uh, decision making. Overall, uh, do I think it's a good idea? Yes. I mean, I think that we are going to get there. And I guess in this transition period, uh, people need to come into alignment with what that there means. This was apparently planned, I'm just learning now, as a joint announcement by the governors of California, Oregon, and Washington State. I, I don't know why they announced that jointly or if, if it was coincidental. But anyway, all three are, are going in that direction. Uh, is any of this, you think, um, justified by the fact we have the recent study that came out that apparently younger kids do not aerosolize the virus to the same degree that adults do? Yes. I mean, we had that kind of information even earlier on um, in the pandemic showing that uh, there are two things that probably protect kids a little bit more than uh, adults when it comes to both COVID acquisition, as well as transmitting COVID to others. And the two things are just the height of the kid. When you look at where the the virus gets, um, you know, distributed, it's kind of like glue to the ground. And then the second is that they don't have a lot of ACE2 receptors compared to adults. But the third uh, uh, aspect, which you just mentioned, Larry, is the fact that uh, perhaps that aerosol generation is not quite as robust, which makes sense. If you think about things that aerosolize more efficiently, they have to do with uh, power and how you project 
And although it seems um, uh, unusual with some of the screaming kids that I've had uh, in my, my household, um, that they probably, compared to adults anyway, don't project as much. Therefore, you don't disperse the larger droplets into smaller droplets and therefore not as transmissible. Now, in parts of the country that um, have made this move earlier for students, we haven't seen outbreaks related to that, have we? No, we haven't really seen, um, uh, you know, resurging. Uh, of course, many pl- parts of the country that uh, have instituted these changes have also um, opened up in general. So it's hard to disentangle the school effect versus the community effect. But nevertheless, you're right. Uh, there hasn't really been um, an uptick in cases uh, because of because of this. But even when multiple democratic states in the East um, decided to dropped the mask mandate. Again, it was still on a very local level. And most of the time, they projected it for March, even though they made the announcement in February. All right. We're talking with Dr. Peter Chin Hong, UCSF School of Medicine and Medical Center. Uh, The AP just put out uh, a new poll looking at American attitudes toward COVID-19. And just 24 percent of Americans polled said they are extremely or very worried about themselves or a family member contracting COVID. That's down from 36 percent in both the months of December and January when Omicron was called causing that big spike. 34% say they are somewhat worried about it. Most Americans say they think the virus will stick around as a mild illness. And uh, about 15% think COVID-19 will largely be eliminated when the pandemic is over. Uh, so clearly people are very sensitive, Dr. Chen Hong, to Um, the surges. And so we see now a big drop in people who are extremely concerned about the effects uh, of COVID. Um, Your thoughts about that? And is is it okay that um, the majority of us are are not uh, extremely concerned about COVID now? I think it's okay not to be anxious about it so that you're walled off from the world and uh, you don't engage with life zestfully. But I hope that everyone still realizes that for some people in our community, some of our loved ones, that even with Omicron, you can get very ill. So I have several thoughts. Uh, The first is not to be encumbered by this thinking, but just like we do with flu, flu can cause some people to get very ill. Um, The second is to know that there are strategies that people can have access to uh, even though earlier, a few, even a few weeks ago, we were worried that we didn't have enough Paxlovid or Molnupiravir um, and monoclonal antibodies, these are becoming more and more increasingly available. So if you or your family member uh, worries that you might be at risk for getting um, severely ill, time is money. So make sure you contact your healthcare provider because, again, for even for an unvaccinated person, you can prevent that hospitalization if you get ill. So I was in the hospital for the last few weeks, and I can't tell you how many people uh, are still ill, although much less than before. And what's your sense now is we're seeing this dramatic drop in the number of people hospitalized with COVID, and even some of those people who were in the hospital for other things who ended up testing positive for COVID. Is there anything that you would see on the horizon that could reverse the gains we're experiencing now? No, I think 
the only thing that I worry about, not necessarily in California, where, you know, so many of us are vaccinated, 73 percent are fully vaccinated, but that's still not regionally. Um, you know, it's more on the coast, less in the in the Central Valley. Um, I worry that people are banking a lot on natural exposure to viruses being something that can protect you and stand the test of time. I'm sure it's really good, but it, there's a time limit. It's just like getting one shot of a vaccine instead of three. So I would worry that if you put your eggs in the I was exposed to COVID basket, that when it comes back again, you may get ill. So it's something that you just have to be vigilant about. Dr. Peter Chen Hong, UC San Francisco Medical Center, professor of medicine and infectious disease specialist. If you have questions for him about COVID-19, about vaccinations, about the changes in the mask ordinances, any of those, please give us a call. We're at 866-893-KPECC or email us at at, uh, comments at kpecc.org. Please include your location and your first name. And remind you as well, please not medical questions that are highly specific to you. We want these to be questions that you feel pretty confident uh, apply to others beyond yourself. 866-893-KPECC. In case you just joined us, Governor Newsom announcing with his counterparts in the states of Oregon and Washington that there would no longer be mandatory masking for classroom students or for school employees uh, after March 11th. And uh, school districts are still able, as LA Unified has has said it intends to, to keep the requirement going uh, further than than that March 11th deadline. What do we know about the BA2 variant at this point that um, in some cases has become the overwhelmingly dominant uh, subvariant of COVID versus what appears to be its much lesser penetration here in the Western U.S.? Well, Larry, we know that it's kind of taken off in places mainly where they hadn't seen a lot of uh, Omicron before. But if you've seen Omicron before, like California in a heavy dose, that is probably not going to affect our downward trajectory as much. Um, What we've known recently, some new studies have come out showing that the risk of hospitalization is similar with Omicron and its cousin BA2. And BA2 is not necessarily worse. Um, and we've seen that in a couple of studies. And then interestingly, you can get reinfected with BA2 if you've had BA1 or the regular Omicron, but it's not that common. And uh, so far, uh, the people who've gotten reinfected uh, from a Danish study weren't very ill. So that's kind of what we know so far, but it is marching around the world. It will probably take over uh, Omicron, but it's similar enough so that that downward slope that we're seeing now in California is probably not going to be affected too much. 866-893-KPCC. Madeline in Glendale says, I've seen it reported more people are dying right now from COVID-19 than during the entire pandemic. Is this true or not? Um, boy, Madeline, I sure haven't seen that. Um, Dr. Chen Hong? It's not that more people are dying, more people are dying now, but the rate of deaths is still very, very high, you know, almost 2,000 deaths a day. Um, but similar, I think, specifically speaking about California, um, 
we are not where we were in last winter, but the number of deaths per day is still more than the other surges, not last winter. Uh, so it's right up there. And I think we've become numb with, uh, again, people who are very sick because in each person's personal experience, you're looking around you and you know like tons of people who got Omicron. So it's hard to really tease apart the people who are really ill. And I, I think similarly to deaths. Also, I think we've become numb to deaths and they just become a bunch of numbers and statistics and zeros. Um, you know, I think, and this might sound um, a little bit sentimental or corny, but every time somebody does poorly, you know, when I'm taking care of them, I always like pause and reflect because, you know, that person is is also associated with a family and a group of people. And, and you know, it's not really necessarily just uh, a cold to everyone. Although I do agree that it's mild for most people. That's anything but but corny or sentimental. That's a caring physician. 866-893-KPCC. That's what all of us would want is our our physicians to to take that at such a human level when when someone is is deeply ill and you see the effect on the family members as well as the patient 866-893-KPECC or you can email us at atcomments at kpcc.org the other factor i wonder dr chin hong is that you know deaths are a lagging indicator and so the deaths that we're seeing today Aren't those by and large from people who got Omicron typically weeks ago and finally succumbed? That's true, Larry. Um, that's why there are two things driving yeah, uh, deaths. One is, you know, it's the majority of them are people we've been trying to keep alive for a long period of time. So they, re- they reflect people who've gotten infected uh, maybe two, three weeks ago, sometimes longer. Um, and, and not necessarily what's going on in the community right now. 866-893-KPECC. Robin in Calabasas says, I'm over 70. I've had both of the primary vaccinations and a booster six months ago, all or Moderna. If I get a fourth booster, would you recommend Pfizer or J&J? Well, Robin, um, you know, we can talk about the idea of the fourth booster, but uh, I'll answer your specific question now first. Uh, right now, the U.S. is preferring that people, if they get any vaccine, get um, uh, mRNA vaccine, uh, either Pfizer or Moderna, because of the just higher risk of clots, although not big in the big schema, because we have alternatives, that's what they recommend. Um, the fourth dose uh, wouldn't harm you for sure. Um, but most people believe right now in the U.S. that three doses would protect you well in the long term. Um, and, uh, of course, your immunity for the antibodies will wane after three to four months. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it seems hard to keep up with the cycle of shots, knowing that even though you won't go to the hospital, that that uh, antibodies would go down over time. And there, we're probably going to get at least Novavax and another um, different type of vaccine by Sanofi and GSK approved within the next few months. So there'll be more options for people. Right. Let's see. We have uh, Chad in Culver City wondering about healthcare workers specifically. Do you think that a fourth shot will be recommended for those doing that higher risk work? Yeah. No, Chad asked a really great question. So this is the way I think it may play out uh, in the U.S., 
um, say come fall or winter time, if we don't get another variant before then, um, and we get another surge because people's immunity is going down and congregating indoors, et cetera. Um, there are two reasons to think about getting a booster. Maybe by then we will have three dose data showing that maybe in some people, um, like maybe nursing or residents, for example, they may need a shot to prevent, to increase their chances of not going to the hospital. That may or may not be true. But the second reason to think about boosting antibodies, which is what you'd probably want to do for some people, is that you can keep them in the workforce. And that might be what might happen with healthcare workers and other essential workers during a period of a, maybe a minor surge or, or surge in winter. You give a booster so that they don't even get infected. So I think time will tell how we approach this as a country. But so far, the fourth dose data um, hasn't really shown to be, you know, the be all and end all per se. And we're waiting, uh, you know, until, you know, pressed probably by a surge. Joaquin and Brea said, I recently read that the Omicron variant was found in white-tailed deer in New York State. Is this cause for concern? Well, I think people are studying the animal reservoirs for COVID. I, I think until those uh, those deer studies, um, we've known that animals can get COVID, but there hasn't been a lot of evidence showing that animals can give the COVID to humans. Humans can give it to animals. So I think people are following that very, very closely. There are lots of other diseases, as people know, where there's an animal reservoir that continues to be very active. And when humans go into that animal world, they bring in, bring out the infection and then they infect people in the community. And that happens a ton, like yellow fever, Lyme disease, et cetera, um, lots of zoonoses. Um, but, you know, I, I think for now, uh, I won't worry about it too much, um, but definitely we'll continue to follow how things evolve. All right. Dr. Chen Hong, it's always a pleasure. Thank you, sir, for joining us. We'll look forward to talking with you again soon. Thanks so much, Larry. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in L.A. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at LAist.com, at kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.